You know, something I think, well, not I think, something I know that we all have in common, we all have to deal with in life is learning to deal with disappointment, right? You know, many times I think the disappointment in our life comes from the fact that the vision that we have for our lives or we had for our lives in a season is very different from sometimes the reality of our life in the season we find ourselves in, right? That you had a picture in your head of what life was supposed to look like, um, you know, in your 20s or life was supposed to look like in your 30s or in your 50s or 60s or, or 80s, right? And the vision of what you thought life was supposed to look like doesn't always match up to the reality of what you find. Um, you know, sometimes disappointments aren't that like, big a deal. It's things you work through, right? Like, I, I wanted to be a bodybuilder when I was in high school, and I had Arnold posters. I've told you this before. And I very quickly figured out that I did not have the genetics uh, to be a bodybuilder, right? And so I was doing cycling, and I was actually pretty good at cycling um, long distance, but then I decided to enter a speed race, like a, uh, what do they call it, a time trial, so a short race, and I, I, I wasn't even in the running, I quickly figured out that some of the athletic things that I dreamed of doing, I just, it wasn't going to happen for me, you know? When your mama told you you can do anything you want, um, she's your mom, right? (laughs) You need someone in your life telling you that, but it just, you know, at some point you wake up and you realize that that just isn't the case, is it? that some of the things that you thought you wanted to accomplish. For some of you, you were a lot better than me in athletics, and you actually wanted a career in athletics, uh, but there was a, a moment, an instant, um, a bad tackle. Uh, you, you zagged left when you should have gone right, right? And it ended it all. Your hopes were crushed in an instant, and that whole dream was over, right? Now, for some, it, it's like you had a, a picture in your heart or in your mind of what marriage and family would look like. And this was just a real thing on your heart, right? And you found yourself now in a situation where you have little kids or you have babies and moms in the room or dads, uh, you're, just, you're just wanting some adult conversation. And you thought you had this picture of this fulfillment and this joy. And although there's joy and there's fulfillment, um, there's this big part of you that wonders, I wonder if I'm ever going to get to some of the things I wanted to career-wise. You're wondering, am I ever going to get to where I, I really wanted to go? Or maybe it's, it's the marriage, and, and you, you felt like um, you had a picture in your mind of what marriage was so supposed to look like, and um, it just hasn't been going that well. And really, when you're honest, it's like there, there's a reason you stay late at work and it's because you don't really even know if you want to go home, right? And we all have to learn to deal with disappointment like that. It's something we, we share. Maybe you're approaching retirement or you recently retired, and you actually, um, you worked hard and you got what you were pointing your life towards, right? And now you got the four-wheeler, and it's fun, and you take it out on the weekends, but the dream, the vision of what you felt like that would do for you and the freedom would do for you, um, it just isn't there. And now you just have this feeling like, is this all there is to life? Is there something more of significance, right? Sometimes I think we deal a lot with disappointment with God. Um, Oftentimes, 
that's when you pray for something and it just doesn't happen, right? Um, you prayed for a miracle and a miracle didn't happen. In fact, a lot of our church body prayed for a miracle. We had a Facebook prayer group thing and uh, prayed for a miracle this week for, for uh, the relative of somebody in the church and it didn't happen, right? And a lot of times what happens with this disappointment when it comes to our relationship with God, we've shared this before, but I think it's so good to remind you of and just keep in your hearts and minds because this is such a, a common pattern in people's lives when it comes to your relationship with God that there's a disappointment in your life and because of that disappointment, because life doesn't match the picture or the reality that you had in mind, um, it leads to a disillusionment with God or a disillusionment with, with faith, right? And then um, the disillusionment ends up leading to doubts, like, I wonder if this is really even true. Or really, it's, it's, for, for most people, it's not, a, is God there? But it's really, I wonder if God really cares about my situation, if God really cares about this place that I, I'm in. And many times that doubt leads to detachment. Where for a season of time, for some of you, maybe this is your story for a decade or for a number of years, you just sort of walked away from God. And at the root of it is there was a disappointment and you just didn't know what to do with it, right? So you see this. Disappointment leads to disillusionment, leads to doubt, leads to detachment. The reason I think this is such an important topic to talk about is that how you deal with disappointment will determine the trajectory of your life. It will determine whether you become a bitter shell of who you were created to be, an angry person, or someone who just sort of withdraws and quits, quits pressing in in life. It'll determine whether you go that direction or whether you go forward in life with, with joy and with peace and with hope in spite of the disappointment. I, I have some um, a friend that now, you know, in their early 60s and bad disappointment, pain a while back in life, and they are angry, bitter shells of the people they were, once were, that I remember them as when I was a kid. And it's tragic, right? See, the way you learn to deal with your disappointment, it will determine the trajectory of your life. And so, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna pick up in Exodus chapter four, verse 29. And to remind you where we left off last week, Moses had just met up with Aaron and told him the, the mission that God had given him at the burning bush. They'd been commissioned to go back and lead the people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And so in verse 29 of chapter four, it says this, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. So they went back to Egypt and they gathered up the elders, the leaders of Israel. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the peoples, and they believed. See, Moses' big fear was, what if I go back and the people don't even believe me? They don't believe that God appeared to me. They don't believe that God called me. That was his big fear. And so they go back and they do what God says, and it says they believe. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Now, this is a significant moment. This is a big deal. Because you remember, the people have been in oppression for 
hundreds of years at this point. Slavery, brutal slavery, hard work, hard labor, right? Their women have been subjected to things over the course of this that, that women should never be subjected to, right? They've, they've had to murder. There was a period of time where they actually had to murder their firstborn sons by throwing them in the Nile. And that's where the story begins, right? With, with these courageous midwives that refused to kill the babies. But that was 80 years ago. God's been working this whole time behind the scenes. 80 years ago is, is a while. 80 years ago, World War II was just ramping up. Hitler was just taking over the majority of, of Europe. Some of you have grandparents or, or parents or, or great-grandparents that served in that war. But it's, it's been a while. And see, God has been working behind the scenes this whole time and, and he's been moving in Moses, he's been positioning people, but at this point, they show up and when God sees, God hears, God cares. So this is a big moment because the people hear it and they actually believe and they actually worship and hope is kindled in their hearts. The hope of, hey, God actually sees us in this situation and is gonna do something about this. And hope just rises up in their hearts. Maybe you've had that feeling before. Maybe it's, you know, there was a, a health scare and when you got the, the, the clear, the news, the phone call, you know, your heart was beating, you got the phone call that, hey, uh, things are okay. And it was like that feeling of, whew, and you could just start to think about your life again and dream about the future again. And this was that moment for the people of Israel. And for Moses and Aaron, this was an amazing moment because the people actually believed. And there's this excitement and this hope building. Can you feel that? This is a good day. This is a really good day. And so, the next verse in chapter 5, verse 1, here's what it says. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And so, I don't know, does anybody, I think I saw Ten Commandments as a kid, the one with Charlton Heston. Did anybody else see that? Yeah, a lot of, anybody like under 30 in the room see that? Yeah, that's what I thought, like one of you. All right, there's this old movie, right? And this guy with this epic beard, and I just remember the booming voice, let my people go, Charlton Heston. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Moses gets up and he channels his best Charlton Heston in this moment, let my people go. Actually, it's probably Aaron. Now, here's what's interesting about this whole thing. You remember, Moses starts out as this brash, confident prince 80, 40 years ago when we meet him. Kills the Egyptian, doesn't go, it, doesn't go so well, has to mellow out for 40 years in the desert. So now, what we see in this moment is Moses is getting his mojo back. He is, he's confident. And what's interesting here is that back in chapter three, just a couple pages back, God tells him exactly how this whole thing is supposed to go down. And he says, I want you to go. I want you to say, you know, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, which is kind of the name they called the Israelite slaves, met with us and he wants us to go sacrifice to him in the wilderness. So please, say please, God puts that in there, let my people go. So God gives them a little advice from, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And go in and say, please, you know, you're approaching a person of power who actually thinks he's a God. But Moses goes in now, and he's getting his confidence back. He's getting his brashness back. And they go in, and they just say, hey, the God of Israel has appeared to us. 
And he says, let my people go. Sort of mic drop, right? Here's what's interesting about that. Notice, um, he actually, he told them to bring the elders with him too. We don't see that the elders were with him. Uh, we see no pleas. And then he just says, let my people go to hold a festival. Okay, so verse two, Pharaoh said, and here's how a powerful person responds to an aggressive confrontation. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. In other words, I don't know him. I don't have any respect for the God of Israel. See, Pharaoh would have respected even the gods of some of their enemy nations, the small g gods, you know, the idols, because they were very superstitious. He respected, Egypt had multitude, a multitude of gods. In fact, when we get to the plague section, we're going to preach that over a couple of weeks, you're going to see how each of the plagues was designed to confront one of the primary gods of Egypt and show that they weren't gods at all, right? And so uh, Moses, Pharaoh would have respected all these different Egyptian gods. Pharaoh thought he was a god. And so he just shows utter contempt for the god of this slave people. Who is the Lord? And this is going to be a phrase that will come back to haunt him. And so Moses, now I think, backpedals a little bit because he was hoping this confrontation would go a little bit better. So then he like backpedals and I think, I can just see the wheels going in his head of like, oh, wait, wait. I think God spelled out how this thing's supposed to go, right? So verse three, then they said, the God of the Hebrews, so he, uh, he phrases it actually the way that they would phrase it. The God of the Hebrews has met with us now, and you don't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew, it literally says, now please. So he gets the please in there this time, but first impressions are kind of important, right? Yeah. Um, now please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or, and Moses adds this in here, it's kind of a passive, aggressive little threat towards Pharaoh. It's kind of funny. Or he, God, may strike us with plagues or with the sword. And Pharaoh's just looking at Moses and going, he'll strike you. Let me show you who will strike you. You think your God can do something? Let me show you the God, as he points to himself, that can really do something. So verse four, the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. You're costing me my, on my bottom line here, buddy. Get out of here. Get out of my sight. Verse six, that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. That same day, this is calculated. This is a calculated move that Pharaoh makes to drive a wedge between Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And so there's this Cruel, sadistic, cold, calculated plan that Pharaoh launches to drive a wedge between Moses and Aaron and the people, but also 
to make it so that the people of Israel will be so exhausted. See, Pharaoh knows something. He knows that if I can put kick these people into survival mode, they kind of have, you know, they're used to what they do. If I can kick them into survival mode, they won't have any energy to even pay attention to all this nonsense. He knew that exhaustion can crush hope. Have any of you experienced that? It's true. Exhaustion can crush hope. Actually, for some of you, and this is just a freebie, it's a little bunny trail. I'm gonna go down for a minute. Because for some of you, you have, you have a lack of hope in your life and you've been struggling with that. And at the root of that is a very real problem, a very simple problem, actually. And that's you're just exhausted. You're just exhausted. Um, I know for, for young families, this is, this is often a thing, right? It's just exhausting and there's never a break. There's never a pause, right? And for some of you, the reason you have a, a lack of hope, you, you, you feel hopeless, is you're just tired. And let me just tell you, it's amazing what a couple good nights sleep will do for you. I, I know it's hard to figure out how to get that, especially if you have babies, right? But if you can figure that out, um, you'll be amazed the difference that will make. Um, and the perspective you need in this season, if that's where you're at, is, hey, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. I'm just tired. If you can realize that, hey, it's... it's it's not the end of the world. I'm just tired. That'll help you because you, you really, for sometimes it's like there's not a, a real end in sight for a while, but you just have to hang in there for a season and just having the hope of realizing, hey, this is normal and I'm just tired. Breathe a little bit. Take your parents up on that, you know, that offer. Leave the kid for a little bit. Rest. So for some of you, you know, that's like worth the price of admission right there, so. Um, the other side of this is sometimes the thing that we're exhausted from is something we can control, and sometimes it's something we can't control, right? Some of you, are, there's just a season in your life, and it's, it's out of your control. You didn't cause it, and in the season, you don't see a way around it. For others, um, actually, you kind of caused it. And for some, the reason you're struggling with this season of exhaustion is because you actually elevated like success to an idol in your life or comparing your life to other people, getting on social media and looking at you know, what other people have, where other people vacation. And, and it's created so much anxiety inside of you and stress that there's this thing driving you that you never stop to rest and you haven't stopped to wrestle with what is this thing that's driving me. And at the root of what's driving you, is this thing that you've, you've let success in comparison to other people become an idol in your life. And if that's where you're at, you're never gonna find rest. In fact, many people that are buried in debt, that's the story. That's how they got in debt. If that's you, you should get, do the uh, financial peace course that's starting this Wednesday because it'll help you find freedom. So wherever you find yourself in that, I think a very good question to ask yourself is what's driving me? What's driving me? All right. Bunny trail, let's move on. Verse 10. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. 
Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. And so Pharaoh, in this brilliant, sadistic plan, he sends the people scattered all over. They don't have any time for anything else, do they? They're just trying to survive at this point. Verse 13, the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, and yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. So the, the oppression happens. They go back to Pharaoh and say, please be reasonable. But he's not reasonable. He's cruel. To him, the people of Israel are just possessions. They're just a commodity. Verse 19, the, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble. They realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So in the midst of this horrible situation, they lash out at the messenger. They shoot the messenger. They blame the one who they see just came in and stirred the pot and made things worse. They blame Moses. They blame Aaron. And I think you and I probably would too. Because it's really hard to keep perspective in this kind of thing, right? Just a few verses back in verse 29, there was this excitement, there was this hope. Moses and Aaron bring this amazing message. Um, God confirms it through this cool sign. He sees them, he cares, he's going to deliver them. And now their hope has been crushed. And they're bitter, they're disappointed, they're disillusioned. They doubt if God is even there. And for Moses, they just don't want anything to do with Moses and Aaron. Now, here's the interesting thing. Moses is trying to do the right thing. Even though he doesn't go into Pharaoh the exact way God tells him to do, uh, it doesn't seem like at any point God, God uh, faults him for it, right? He's trying to do the best thing that he knows how, and yeah, he's human, so he doesn't always get it exactly right. But he's trying. He's trying to follow God. He's trying to do what God said. If you ever had a situation where you tried to do the right thing and what you thought would be good actually turned out to go the opposite way, maybe a conversation with your husband or your wife that you thought was supposed to be encouraging and it came out of your mouth a little bit wrong 
and four hours of fighting later. I think we all experienced something like that, where the thing you meant for good got flipped back and thrown back in your face. That's what Moses is feeling right now. That's what Aaron's feeling. This wasn't the vision of hope he had for his life. Um, The people hate him. God made promises. And now, look at the situation. Look at the situation. I think when things go wrong, we we often uh, do what they did. We blame someone else. See, it wasn't Moses and Aaron's fault. It was cruel, sadistic Pharaoh's fault, right? But oftentimes, we end up blaming. We just lash out at whoever's closest, right? Sometimes we blame others. Sometimes we blame ourselves. And I'm, I'm guessing Moses was doing a little blaming of himself there. You know, like, if I had just paid attention when I read that self-help book about how to talk to people, if I had just remembered what, what God said exactly and led with that instead of led with this whole, like, hey, let my people go, Charlton Heston thing, maybe it would have gone better. Maybe it would have gone different. See, the point, but the point is it's, it's not his deal. It's God's deal. That's what we're going to see. It's God who's bringing the deliverance. And a lot of times, we can just blame ourselves and nitpick every single little thing we do, right? Or other times, um, we blame God. We blame God. And that's where Moses actually goes in this. Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? God, this is your fault. Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. God, you promised you were going to deliver him and you're not keeping your promise. You haven't done anything for him. Look at him now. They're, they're way worse off and now they're blaming me. They hate me. Is this why you sent me? just to make an idiot out of me? He's a little upset. See, he made some assumptions about this whole thing. He had assumed this whole process would be much easier. And it's interesting because God actually told him, he spelled it out. Let me, let me remind you what God told him in chapter three about how this whole thing was gonna go down. He said this, I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And so Moses just has this perspective, like this is supposed to happen now. God, why haven't you moved? God's like, this is only the opening act, buddy. This isn't, I mean, this is like chapter one. Haven't you ever read a good epic story? The story always has to get worse before it gets better, doesn't it? Okay, ladies, your your rom-coms, that's romantic comedies. The story almost, almost always falls apart before they finally end up together in the end, doesn't it? Moses had never watched a rom-com. But his assumption was God God wasn't holding up his end of the bargain. And the truth is, this was only the warm-up. God's process was in progress, but Moses just assumed it would be much faster. And he finds himself disillusioned, disappointed, angry, 
bitter, confused. His hopes have been crushed. And he doesn't know how this thing's going to work out. And how he will deal with disappointment will affect the trajectory of his life, just like how you deal with disappointment in seasons will greatly affect the trajectory of your life. So in the rest of our time today, I just want to give you four thoughts around this. Some, hopefully some practical little keys that you can take away because, because disappointment is something we all deal with. And so the first thing that, that I want you to, if you want to jot these down and think about them later, the first one is this, to align your assumptions to the reality found in Scripture. We all make assumptions, don't we? Align your assumptions to the reality found in Scripture. Uh, here's what I mean by that. We all have notoriously short faith spans. Memory spans, but faith spans too, right? See, as our faith usually does pretty good. Those three verses at the end of chapter four, Moses' faith is off the charts. Day or two later, not so much. And we all have a notoriously short faith span. Things go great. Hey, we're doing great. We got faith. Things start to not go great. We completely forget what God showed us and what God did in this last season. And just remembering what God has done in your life is one of the most important things you can do to remember those things, right? But then you got to align your assumptions to the reality that are, that's found in Scripture. And what the reality is that's found in Scripture is things didn't always happen like this when God said things would happen. You notice that? Um, God's active presence doesn't always mean immediate results. We think it does, right? In fact, what's interesting is when God actually announces his presence and blessing on his people, things actually seem to go from bad to worse, don't they? They get way worse before they start getting better. And sometimes God's active presence in your life, this is so counterintuitive, but this is something you see in Scripture. Sometimes God's active presence in your life actually produces hardships we don't anticipate. Opposition, um, spiritual warfare. I believe that there actually is a real enemy, Satan, that opposes the people of God and the things of God. And I've noticed this in people's life, that if you take step out in a step of faith towards what God's calling you to do, whether that's something just like inviting somebody to church, praying for, having a conversation about Jesus with, with a coworker, or maybe leading something. I've, I've got some friends in our small group uh, that lead one of our ministries. Every once in a while, they run a class, and when they run this class, they just know, they've learned. It was so weird. Every time they did it, something would major would go wrong in their lives. Things would start falling apart. And then they put two and two together and realized, oh, I think this is actually spiritual warfare. And so now they just know, anytime we get ready to launch this class, small group, let's pray about this. They've learned to, to anticipate there's going to be some opposition. Um, you see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus, when God's active presence, the Holy Spirit comes on him, and then the Holy Spirit, um, it says it, the Holy Spirit compels him to go out into the wilderness to be tested. Sometimes we think, oh, God's presence, and we just think like, you know, God, your presence and your leading in my life and all this stuff, oh, I'm drawing close to you, everything's going to be rosy. Not all the time. 
It's not what you see in Scripture, right? Um, a really important thing around Scripture is to understand the difference between principles and promises. See, like most of the, most of the book of Proverbs, the wisdom books of Solomon, uh, most of the Proverbs, and, and a lot of, there's a lot of things that we read that are actually principles, but they're not promises. Let me give you an example. One of those is train your child up in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. That's a principle. That's not a promise. And the reason that's a principle is because your child has free will. Have you noticed that? Anybody? You've noticed that. See, ultimately, you can't control your child. You can't make your child love God. But here's, here's the principle, is that the principle is when you raise your child in the ways of God, man, you set them up to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. When you make their, their spiritual life and, and um, church and, and Bible and youth group and those conversations at, at home, you know, spiritual conversations around the meal and on the way to the soccer field, when you make that a priority, man, you're setting them up for being lifelong followers of Jesus. Now, they still have to choose to follow him. But see, when that becomes a, a promise in your heart and your mind and not a principle, what happens is when your child goes off the rails, you say, God, you failed me. But you, you, that's, you, you took a principle and you made it into a promise, right? There's other things like that. Things involving you know, generosity and, and money and tithing and all those kinds of things. There's principles, right? All right, um, a lot of times we just, we just miss some of the clear examples in Scripture. Like Jesus, um, Jesus said this. He just laid some heavy stuff on his disciples in, in John, John 16, 33. He says, I, I've told you these things. I mean, they're hard to hear, I know. But I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's a promise, actually, not a principle. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. You live in a Genesis 3, cursed, fallen world full of sinners. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, here's the thing. I bet none of you have this on your coffee cup. You didn't, like, get it specially printed on your coffee cup and just have it in that special spot in your special chair for your quiet time. And you sit, mm, thank you, Lord. In this world, you'll have trouble. That's one thing Jesus said, right? And yet in this world, when we start to encounter trouble, where we go so often is, God, what's going on? What's going on, right? Um, you see this all throughout Scripture. Jeremiah, one of the great prophets, God calls him to this great thing, you know, raise up nations, tear down nations like manly stuff. I'm in. And then a while later, here's what Jeremiah is saying. God, you deceived me. You didn't show me, tell me all the fine print here. Jeremiah ends up going into exile with the people of Israel. God fulfilled the promise, and yet it looked way different than he thought, right? Um, David, one of David's greatest heart desires, this vision, his picture of the reality of later, his later life was to build the temple of God. I mean, it was passion, the passion of his heart. But he was a, a warrior, and God said, I'm sorry, you can't build it. You have too much bloodshed on your hands. You, you, you're, you shed too much blood. You can't ever get to that thing. You can get everything ready, but it's just not gonna happen for you. 
Uh, Peter says this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But so many times that's exactly what happens when we face disappointments in life. It's like, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see this coming. So number one, you gotta align your assumptions to the reality found in scripture. Second thing is this, have tenacious faith while holding expectations with open hands. See, people respond to disappointment in life when it comes to seeking God, following the thing that God's placed on your heart or praying for others or, or seeking God to see um, God move in a situation. And usually we respond one of two ways, either uh, to think if I can just ramp up enough faith, I can get God to do it, that's an error. Or it's, it's thinking like, God, you didn't do it. And so people just withdraw and ratchet down their expectations and pretty soon start living faithless lives. Um, there's a great, a couple of years ago, we did Daniel, the book of Daniel. And there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were like beans or something on veggie tails. Maybe you'll remember that. <laughs> yeah. As they're getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace, they say this incredibly profound thing. They say, um, man, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and we know uh, he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, incredible faith, and yet we're going to hold it with open hands. And this is the way we're called to live our lives, guys. We, we don't ratchet down our expectation that God's going to move in the moment. We just admit that, God, you're God, and I'm not. And so I know if you've made me a promise, I'm going to cling to that, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold the whole process of how it's going to happen with open hands. And realize that the process, the way this works itself out, may look way different than I thought. And guess what? You're God and I'm not. I'm going to have faith and pray for people. Um, just because I prayed for five people uh, to, to see healing in their lives and it didn't happen, I'm going to keep praying because you called us to. I'm going to hang on to that faith. But the result, I'm going to hold that with open hands and understand you're God and I'm not. Don't lower your expectations. Don't check out. I think we, we probably all know someone who lowered their expectations in life because of hurt and disappointment, right? Maybe it was a, relationships from friendships that went south. And because of that, they sort of said, I'm gonna withdraw and just uh, you know, put a bubble around myself. I'm gonna insulate myself so I don't get hurt again. You know, you can perhaps save yourself from a lot of pain that way or a little ping, but you miss a lot of the joy of life that God meant for, for us to experience. And the same thing's true when it comes to trusting him for the thing he's calling you to do, for praying for others, for inviting, for being actively involved. Don't just check out. Third thing is this, persevere in taking the next faithful step. See, here's what we wanna do. Um, sometimes God's leading is crystal clear the burning bush. But let me just ask you, how many of you have ever experienced a burning bush? I don't see any hands. See, God, is, God, God communicates to us. Um, but we have things in our lives, you know, I have a few moments I look back, I call them those 
God moments where you look back and you're like, wow, that was amazing. And I, I know that I know that I know that God was speaking to me in that moment, right? A lot of you have those. We've done a show of hands before. But guess what? That's not like every other day. Sometimes God makes it very clear. Other times, God calls you to draw on wisdom and wise advice, wisdom found in Scripture, on the counsel of others, like getting some people around and going, hey, what do you think about this? This is what I'm thinking in life. And, and here's the thing. We don't always see or even often see the end game of what God's leading us to. But we, he, God almost always shows us clearly the next step to take. We talk about the next step a lot here. I think it's good language that we should have as, in our church as a part of our culture is what's the next step? Because you don't know, the, many of you, you, you don't see the final thing God's trying to get you towards or how God wants to use your life to impact others, but you know the next step. Or you don't see you know, how this is gonna work out in your family, but you know the next step he's calling you to take as a family when it comes to following him. And what too many people do is because they can't see the end game, they don't take the next step. And if you want to get to where God's calling you and leading you when it comes to obedience, you have to be faithful to take the next step he's showing you. You have to obey in the small things. You have to take that step and then trust that, God, you're going to reveal it and lead me. And then you just have to keep persevering and persevering and persevering. In our sermon planning meeting, uh, John said he reminds them of a lot of things that uh, situations, books he read of those people that worked 10 years to be an overnight success. That's actually, most of the people you admire, that's the story. They worked 10 years, 20 years, hard, behind the scenes, nobody high-fiving them to become an overnight success. And everybody celebrates when they become a success, but nobody celebrates the work. You gotta persevere in taking the next step. And then the fourth thing, and we're gonna close with that, is this, take your disappointment to God instead of allowing, you, or allowing it to drive you away from him. See, this is what I love about what Moses did. Back in Exodus 5, Moses returned to the Lord and said, and then he kind of vents to God. Um, you know what? We don't understand a lot of things that happen in our lives. It's okay to vent to God. God never says you shouldn't talk like that in this passage. It's okay. In fact, David, read the Psalms. You're like, dude, bro, you've got some issues. God, why have you abandoned me? Vent to God. I recommend you do that with a respect that honors the fact that he's God and you're not. That's what you see in the Psalms. That's what you see in Moses. But you can wrestle with God. The word Israel means to wrestle with God. And God invites us in situations as we see the injustice in life, as we see a situation and we're terribly disappointed, he invites us to bring that to him and go, God, I don't get it. Why would you allow this? I don't understand. Vent to God. Don't let your disappointment drive you away from him. He is your heavenly father who's perfect, who cares for you. 
who knows your needs before you even ask. And he invites you to run to him. And I love how this starts in a few weeks when we pick Exodus back up. We're gonna see this. Then the Lord says to Moses, now you will see what I will do. See, the whole time this has been about what I'm going to do. And I wanna use you, Moses, but ultimately, it's not you walking in front of Pharaoh brashly going, let my people go, that's gonna get them to let them go. It's gonna be when the power of God shows up and moves, everything changes. Would you stand... And as we close, I just want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I want to ask some of you in the room to do something kind of brave. Nobody's looking around except for me. But if you've got a situation in your life right now where there is a significant disappointment that you're dealing with and struggling with God over, I want to pray for you. And so I just want to invite you right now just to slip your hand up for a second. Don't be shy. Yeah. It's a lot of people. And I just want to pray for you in this season. Father, I just ask that you would move right now. Lord, that in these people that raised their hands and those that weren't brave enough to, but know they should, I pray that you would just move in their situation that your Holy Spirit would just come and show them, uh, reveal to them your great, incredible love and care for them. Reveal that you are so big and we are so small. And that even though we don't understand the circumstances, that you care for us. That your heart grieves too with many of the things that grieve us. So, Lord, I pray you would just, in their lives this week, that you would allow them to take that faithful step you're calling them to take, to hang on to hope, Lord, to bring their frustration and their, and their fear to you. Lord, to have, um, to have assumptions that match what you've revealed to us in Scripture so we don't have an unreal view of what life is supposed to be like. But Lord, that we would never ratchet our faith down, that we would always expect you to do great things in our lives, Lord. We love you. We believe you are alive and active in our midst. We worship you and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.